you can now take KRBN Internet News sure. Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bolchevich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and it's another beautiful day here in the Pacific Northwest. Beautiful blue skies, a couple of little white fluffy clouds. Got to be just about 68 degrees outside. And it's just perfect, except for the fact that I'm just dying with the grass pollen. So if I'm hacking a little bit during the show, you'll know why, because uh, the pollen hit that time of year. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, it's a great day. And this is the Bozo Show, and I'm your host, Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner. And we're coming downtown and uh, we've got a, an interesting show today because i got to do a lot of interesting things over the last week so we got a bunch to talk about and of course we're going to talk about some things that might just be a little controversial because we're going to talk about guns you know so uh and, and and trying to have a civil discourse about guns which is always a highly emotional and divisive issue and and it's really difficult to find any place in the middle everybody can agree. So we'll have we'll have a little conversation about that. But we can also talk about whatever you want to talk about, because the whole point of this show is for me to to communicate with my constituents out there and whoever else might be listening. Just give us a call at 646-721-9887 and just press one. And that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know that you want to get in on the conversation here on the Bose Nose Show. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press one. So first, I gotta I gotta do a little bragging. So my wife Elizabeth, you know, owns a business that she runs from our property here in beautiful downtown Elmira called uh, Needlepoint Now. It's a fine needlepoint magazine. Uh, it's not, and don't be thinking about your grandma's home sweet home sampler that she stitched um, and cross stitched. It's way beyond that with Needlepoint Now. Uh, all sorts of, you know, everything from metallic threads to three dimensional designs. It's it's amazing what these women do with with needle thread and and canvas. Um, but she led a tour um, that was a shop crawl a couple uh, uh, back just ended about a week ago and uh, it was a 10-day tour from seattle down to san diego where they stopped in all these needlepoint shops on the way apparently the wall street journal uh, was getting ready to write an article about how uh, downtowns are trying to attract customers with shop crawls and they must have been googling you know crawl shop crawl and 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 hit on her tour being advertised to the website contacted her 
to ask her about the tour, and she's actually in yesterday's Wall Street Journal in the you know the business section in this article about um, shop crawls and the way they're being utilized to draw customers into brick and mortar stores in downtowns. And it mentioned, you know, her um, one of the points of her doing the shop crawl that she did, which was a needlepoint shop crawl, was to try and bring business and focus to these shops um, that are having a hard time, you know, keeping the doors open with, you know, internet competition and everything else that goes on. Because uh, it's you know, really you know unique, and as 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 you lose those in a town and an area, um, it becomes more difficult to get supplies on the fly. You know when you're missing that one, you know running out of that one color thread um, that you need to finish a project. Sometimes you know trying to go online and find it's not quite so easy, and having a, a, a local needlepoint shop to go to is important. So it's kind of cool. Elizabeth made the Wall Street Journal. Um, yesterday. If you want to see the article, you can go to my faith, personal Facebook page. I've got a link there, although you'll have to pay a dollar for a two-month subscription to the Wall Street Journal's online edition if you want to read the full article. So if you want to read the full article, it's going to cost you a buck. But you get two months free of their online website, so it's a bargain. Um, but so it's kind of cool there that we've got um, local Lane County businesswoman and, and my wife in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. So kind of a fun little piece of news. Have to do the bragging, you know, busting my buttons here, proud of my wife. Uh, she's a pretty amazing businesswoman uh, and, you know, is employing several other people here locally. Uh, brought a business into Oregon from the state of Virginia when she bought the magazine that's uh, bringing, uh, you know, a good uh, over a half million dollars of financial activity with it and keeping some people employed so and signing the front side of paychecks so it's a good thing and I actually get to kind of sort of vicariously participate in the business because uh, I take out the trash every Wednesday morning I change the light bulbs they can't reach and I do payroll every two weeks so <laughs> and I kind of do you know do a little bit more than that kind of as as as, as the uh, Sort of the numbers guy for Elizabeth at times uh, when it comes to financial stuff, but uh, so it's kind of fun having a business here. But it also gives you a lot of insight in just how hard it is to keep a business going and all the craziness going on. Things like the new uh, mass transit tax coming up here in Oregon. We've got notifications from the Oregon Department of Revenue that we're going to have to start withholding that as of July 1st from our employees' paychecks, but no instructions on how we're going to pay it to the state who we have to send the checks to, how often, you know, any of that stuff. So really interesting, you know, that we get, you will have to start withholding this on July 1st, but uh, we can't tell you how to pay it. <laughs> uh, just fun stuff being a business owner. Um, and, and just, you know, kind of fun when this, the legislature sets up a new tax and the um, bureaucracy is not quite ready for it. Uh, so, uh, but we have lots of other stuff to talk about. Like I mentioned, we'll get the guns here in a few minutes. I did get to go down and participate in this weekend's Rhododendron Festival Parade on Sunday. You know, another big successful Rhododendron Festival down in Florence. Lots of people down there. Uh, you know, it's a long parade as parade goes. Uh, I, I've, I've participated in a lot of different parades. This one's a good 30 blocks long. 
because it starts up on 27th and, and, and Oak um, off of uh, Highway 101 and then gets on to Highway 101 at 27th and goes clear down into Old Town, Florence, um, and across you know Bay, Bay Street and all that. So uh, 30 blocks basically of, of, of parade. And I was invited to be one of the um, dignitaries in the towards the front of the parade, sitting in a convertible. And it was kind of humbling because, uh, you know, I'm in a, a convertible that's somebody else's convertible. It was a really nice Camaro. Um, the the Lofties own it, that own Lofty Construction. And it was a nice Camaro. And they a friend of theirs was driving it. And it turns out the friend of theirs is Dave, the outgoing friendly cashier in Fred Myers there in Florence, which everybody in that town seemed to know. So it was rather humbling that as we're going by, people are seeing the signs that say Jay Bozovich, seeing me sitting up on the back. But as we get close and they can actually see who's driving, they're like, it's Dave, it's Dave. <laughs> and they're waving at him and stuff like that. Just about as many people knew Dave as knew Jay. And uh, so that's kind of humbling that the uh, local cashier has as many fans uh, that knew him that did not know me, probably as I had fans that knew me that did not know Dave. And there were several people that knew both of us. So <laughs> we we were rather popular going down the parade route because uh, I you know if they if they knew me as commissioner, um, if they didn't know me, they knew Dave. It seemed like so uh, it was it was kind of fun. And a fun experience to do a parade um, like that, but it was it was also a humbling experience to realize Dave, the friendly cashier from Fred Meyer, was just about as popular as Jay Bozovich, Westland County Commissioner, who just won his election by uh, 16 points. Uh, you know, so it's it's uh, <laughs> pretty humbling. Yeah. So actually, it was 17 points uh, as I do the math in my head. So um, that was kind of fun. And we, you know, we had a board meeting yesterday and, and had, had a lot of interesting things at board meeting. But that evening, I got to attend a forum on um, gun policy and gun safety and, and the, looking at the mass shootings that have happened at schools lately. And it was all kind of started by a series that was written in the Saïs Law News by a young man named Jared. And um, he started the series partly because as he, he went to cover um, the, the march, uh, I forget what they called it, um, March for Safety or whatever it was, that when the kids walked out of school. Um, and, and when he was talking with some of the people um, that were marching and talking with some of the people that were you know, gotten, getting some opposing views, the one thing he kept hearing was all about you know, crazy people with guns. People that are insane, you know, mad people and all that stuff, you know, all about people with mental health issues and, at, you know, interviewing this and, and how they shouldn't have guns and how they, you know, they're, all this stuff about mental health and, and, and not allowing people to have guns, to have mental health problems. And what people didn't realize is they were talking to somebody that has a mental health problem, controlled mental health problem, but um, he has bipolar disorder. Uh, and and it was really disturbing to him and upsetting that there was such a judgment out there and that people were very willing to um, be ready to 
restrict his rights and and restrict his even though he's his secondary this he doesn't own any guns and doesn't want to but it was this whole idea um to him that there was this on both sides this focus on just you know um going after you know mentally ill people and restricting their access in this broad um brush stroke of all mentally ill people are irresponsible and don't have the ability to um you know all, you know it, it kind of painted them all the same you know that there aren't different levels of mental illness or different um types of mental illness and some people may be mentally ill and perfectly capable of of owning a gun and and not causing harm but there was this seemed to be this tie to mental illness and violence when that's not a direct tie people can be mentally ill and, and never harm anybody else maybe themselves but not and by accident but not necessarily um, harm harm other people so it was it was disturbing to him as he was hearing all this doing these interviews and he asked Ned Hickson, the editor for the Saïs Law News, if he could start this series on guns to try and see if he could, you know, one, just dispel some myths, put some facts out there, because, you know, he always, he'd, he'd see where somebody would write something about large capacity clips. And of course, the, the first thing somebody that knows anything about guns goes, there's, you know, very few guns use a clip, you mean magazines. And it's like let's not get hung up on the on the nomenclature. So he actually you know, did some, you know, one of his first articles talked about the correct nomenclature for guns, and you know, Matt, you know, how to refer to it, them correctly. Things like the misnomers about what's an assault weapon, what's the difference between an automatic weapon, a semi-automatic weapon, and, and uh, single shot, and, and uh, various things. So it was. It, you know, kind of started from, you know, let's get some basic facts out there. Then let's just, just dispel some myths on both sides of, of the argument and all that stuff. And then let's talk about um, the issues and, and, and all that. And uh, it was a fairly lengthy series that had been in the in the uh, saw news over the last couple of months, actually. And um, they invited a panel to um, part, you know, to try and hold you know, kind of as a conclusion to the series to see if they could have a civil conversation about the issues of um, safety relative to gun violence um, in the community. Uh, and they invited people from both sides, um, people that were, you know, uh, gun control advocates, folks that were Second Amendment advocates. Uh, they invited me uh, mostly uh, to bring a, a uh, a legislative outlook as a local government person um, and and what we're allowed to do under Oregon law and and U.S. Constitution, et cetera, and what's already on the books and what's being proposed in the way of initiative petitions. So I brought a lot of that information with me. Uh, at the same time, you know, I am a gun owner. I do have a concealed weapon license. Um, I do carry um, due to the death threat that's on the commissioners right now and that we haven't really found who made those threats. Um, so, you know, there there is, I, I will admit right up front, I have a, a more of a, a pro-Second Amendment bias um, coming into that. But one of the things um, 
the objective of that was to have a civil discourse. So one of the first things I talked about was one of the things I've talked about on the show several times is assume good intentions of, of whoever we're talking to about this, about these issues, these divisive issues, that that other person holds their beliefs, not because they're evil or they're stupid or misinformed or, you know, or, you know, whatever you want to say, they hold those beliefs because they feel their beliefs are what's best for the community. And, and, and let's, let's give them that. And then you can have a conversation from there. And it was fairly civil conversation. Um, they, they did allow audience participation. Uh, Josh Green, who's a, a city councilor in Florence, uh, was kind of representing the, the pro-gun control side on the panel, uh, but he was not representing the city of Florence. We, made, we all made it very clear that even though I'm a county commissioner, I was not representing Lane County or the Board of Commissioners. Um, you know, Bob Forsyth, who's the mayor of Dune City, was on the panel as a pro-Second Amendment advocate uh, and having you know, basically six generations of military family. Um, but he was not there representing Dune City or the Dune City Council. Um, Ned Hickson was was there, and um, he was kind of you know kind of more I think on the on the uh, gun safety side, looking for some way to provide you know safety for students and all that. As the editor um, of Sayusa News. We were going to have a law enforcement person there, but at the last minute, their agency said they couldn't participate because they're concerned, even though we had clearly advertised that he was not speaking for the agency, um, they were concerned that there would still be confusion about that role. So you, you, it's always a tough thing for when you get, unless you're talking about an elected sheriff, it's pretty hard for them to speak independently. And then the moderator was Jared. Excuse me, everyone. Um, like I said, I'm suffering with, with the pollen. Um, they, uh, Jared, of course, who wrote the series, and he, he did have his notes from doing a couple hours worth of interviews with the, the law enforcement person, so he did bring in some of the, his notes on that now and then. And it, was, it went for almost three hours last night, this, this discussion that kind of went round and round. Um, of course, you know, sometimes it got off on the, the, the whole Second Amendment and why do you need, you know, high capacity magazines, you know, and you'll never be able to defeat the U.S. military if there was ever really an issue with, with um, the government getting tyrannical and, and you needed and the citizens, you know, needed to revolt and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, getting sidetracked on that issue was way far away from what we were trying to get to was, was how do we you know, how do we deal with these school shootings and and gun safety in general um, in the U.S. Uh, and not get into an argument about whether or not, you know, why you why you need guns. And one of the things, we, you know, I mentioned when we were at least on that portion was the Oregon Constitution is clear that it's not about a, a militia. It's about you know, being able to defend yourself in the state, you know, so um, your choice in how you want to defend yourself is, is you know, uh, should be up to you in a lot of ways. I also mentioned that even, you know, this whole thing about not being able to defeat the U.S. military, 
the big question would be was how much the military would actually obey in order to um, attack U.S. citizens. You know, if it got to if it was a if it was a major conflict, I'm not talking about a small thing like a Ruby Ridge or, um, uh, oh God, what was the thing in Texas? <laughs> yeah, missing my mind, escaping my mind. But the, uh, the um, you know those those sort of conflicts. Um, I'm talking about you know if there was a major action and and a tyrannic you know somebody came to power and tried to order the military to take up arms against U.S. citizens, it would be interesting to see how many in the military would actually obey those orders um, and, and how effective, um, you know, a, a citizen uh, militia that would spring up with whatever, um, you know, the millions of arms that are out there in the U.S. You know, would be if the military wasn't, you know, if a, a good portion of the military um, was in mutiny at the same time. Uh, yeah, but hopefully it never comes to that. And we can talk about the real issues, which is why does a 15 year old or a 17 year old suddenly decide it's okay to steal their father's, you know, weapons or, or you know, get weapons in some other fashion or, or even make homemade bombs like this young man in Texas did and go to school and kill classmates and teachers. You know, what gets a person to that point? And, and, and how do we, you know, prevent that? And, and you know, talk a little bit about, you know, early childhood um, parenting and, and the issues, you know, that start really young. And by the time they're 15 or 17, you know, you might be able to figure out who that person is, but you may not be able to change that person very easily um, and in talking about early childhood response talking about mental health care you know there were some things we talked about last night um, and, and it really came down to, to supporting kids and and there were discussions about bullying and and how bullying has an impact on that a lot of these kids have been isolated and and um, you know between bullying or or lack of good parenting and, and there are other issues behind them and, and really it's a very multifaceted. Some people talked about how society's changed, how some of our school systems kind of gotten, you know, it, it's our system of, of separating kids by age group and keeping them in the same age cohort all the way through school. Is that even a good plan? And, and did we consciously make that decision in the U.S. or did it just kind of happen over time? You know, would we be better off in school classroom situations that mixed ages more, you know, and, and required socialization outside of your age group, you know, you know, ha, you know, similar to some of the open classroom styles in, in the friends schools, if you think about it. Um, there, there's, you know, is it in the design of our school systems? Is it in the fact that we've got parents that are parenting kids, parents didn't parent them and they had no role model. These kids that are second and third generation of um, families that have addiction problems and criminal problems. So they you know, mom and dad were, were, were you know, doing drugs and, and, 
you know, neglecting them and in and out of jail and whatever else and single parent bouncing back and forth to grandparents' houses and foster care and whatever else. And they never really had, this is how you should parent. And now they have kids. And, and who teaches them how to establish a, a loving relationship with their children that'll make them whole by the time they're 15 or 17 and not mass murderers? You know, that, you know, how do we break those cycles? And it's, it's a, a very involved and complex problem you know, that as we, we think about, you know, how do we resolve that in the U.S.? You know, when you get down to the real numbers, though, the, the long-term trending 20, 20 to 30-year trends in gun violence, gun murders are actually decreasing in the U.S. at the same time the number of guns has gone up and the population in the U.S. has gone up. One of the things that is still uh, a, a persistent uh, problem statistically is the number of suicides by firearms is actually uh, held steady, if not increasing. So. Um, when you, you look at deaths by firearms, the, the vast majority are suicides, not murders. Um, so, it, if, but the actual trend on murders, and you know, where it's a violent use of a weapon um, against another person, is actually trending down long term in the U.S. So, um, it, it, it's a, so it, it's one of these things where the, the mass murders make news. And that was another thing that came up last night. And what was interesting was to have uh, Ned Hickson, who's the editor of Sayosaw News, kind of give a little bit of a media perspective because one of the audience members was talking about um, how we, we make these folks not so much famous, but infamous and give them so much airtime. And, and of course, the more victims there are, more media coverage that incident gets and the longer and more intense it is. So it seems like, you know, what, you know, by the body count, that's how much media coverage you get. You know, the woman that walked into Google headquarters in Seattle got maybe a half a day of coverage, you know, an open fire there because there wasn't a big body count. Um, but you get a kid that walks into a school and, and kills 10 people and he'll be in the news for a week. And then if you think about it, whose names do we remember? Do we remember any of the names of the victims of Thurston High School? Or do we remember Kip Kinkle's name? Do we remember any of the names of the, the victims at Sandy Hook? Or do we remember uh, Adam, oh gosh, now I'm forgetting his last name, which I'm kind of glad of in some ways. Um, but, you know, that that's something that's got to change somehow or another. But one of the things that Ned Hickson said is us, the American consumer, is at fault to a degree with that, not just the media, it's what we're expecting. It's what we ask, it's what we watch. And what's the rating show we watch? So the media gives us more of what we seem to consume. You know, we have to stop consuming that. You know, turn off the TV. Don't watch, you know, 24-7 coverage. You know, 
turn the channel. Yeah, we we have to learn to not consume that kind of media before the media is going to go. Oh, look, they're not watching us. Maybe we should go to a different story. Yeah, as the ratings fall. So you know, th there's so many things that drive that. But you know, you look at some of these these kids, and they 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 idolize previous mass shooters. You know, in their in their uh, Facebook postings and whatever else that that. The, the, what's on their computers when they, they get discovered later, you know, they've been, you know, following all sorts of um, stuff like that. So, um, you know, it's really a very complex problem. Everything from how our media covers this stuff to how kids get raised to, you know, Decisions about accessibility of guns and parental responsibility. You know, one of the questions, you know, one of the suggestions was we need to hold parents more responsible for what their kids are doing. And I, I, I asked that person, so how do you hold the Kinkles responsible? You know, Kip shot them first. You know, and, and is that going to, you know, you can't hold them responsible. So what, you know, is that example going to really change some future parent to be more responsible? You know, it, it's not that simple. You know, the, 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 the quick, easy slogan doesn't solve this issue. It's going to be a long, slow, complex change in our society that will solve this. And it's going to have to be multifaceted and um, and it's not going to be easy, but I will say one thing. The conversation last night stayed civil for the most part. People didn't, um, people waited their turn to be called on for the most part. It wasn't, um, people didn't attack each other directly. So it was actually nice to see that. And I think the Sayuslaw News accomplished what they wanted to do with that forum by doing that. So, um, I, I really uh, I appreciate inviting me to the forum, but you know I'm kind of curious. You know, what do you all think? You know, do you know what the drivers are behind this violence? Uh, do you have solutions? Is there something you would like to to put into the conversation, a suggestion or something like that? Give us a call six four six seven two one. 9887. Just press one, let's Robin know you want to get in on the conversation. And uh, we can talk about it. We can talk about you know what you think about the guns. Or you may say, call me just to say you saw me in the roadie parade, or that you saw Dave in the roadie parade. <laughs> um, but again, 646-721-9887. Just press one, let you get in on, on the Bose Nose show here. So other things we talked about this week at our uh, in our board meeting, we had a report on uh, our homeless point in time count results for last year, and we also um, heard from the supervisor for the Willamette National Forest about the last fire season. So a couple of interesting things. We also, you know, as we were talking about our homeless thing, we were also talking about an effort to map our shelter system here in Lane County that we're doing jointly with the city of Eugene uh, and a consultant 
to look at um, as we're talking about trying to add to that system, making sure we're adding to that system in a balanced and correct way. You know, if we build a temporary housing and we don't have permanent additional housing for those folks to move into, that temporary housing is not really temporary. <laughs> you know, people are staying in temporary housing more than six months. That's not temporary housing. So um, it's going to take a look at our overall system our, you know, our, from, from the temporary uh, that keep people alive all the way through how we move people into more permanent supportive housing um, that keeps them permanently off the street and how that system is, is uh, working in Lane County because there's so many different providers and so many pieces it's going to map that entire system and then make and ultimately um, come up with a plan for us to how to um, correctly add to that system where we'll get the most bang for the buck. And then, uh, you know, we we also talked about fire. And one of the things that, you know, I, and I probably shouldn't have picked on him too much and, and the poor gentleman from Willamette National Forest just happened to be the, the guy in the green that was in front of us from the U.S. Forest Service that gave Commissioner Bozovich a chance to kind of um, let off a little steam about the difference between the way um, the private landowners and the state uh, here in Oregon fight forest fire versus the U.S. Forest Service's um, approach to fighting forest fire. And you, you see quite a difference, at least in the results from last year, although um, they have some reasons why they think they're so different. But there was about an even number of fire starts between what Oregon Department of Forestry protected land, which is, includes all private land and plus some public lands and, and even the BLM land that they protect versus the U.S. Forest Service lands, protected lands. So same number basically of lightning and human caused fires on either ownership, but the total number of acres burned was somewhere in the 80 to 90 percent on U.S. Forest Service land and somewhere about 10 to 20 percent on state protected lands. And you wonder why. And, you know, my reasoning for that and, my, and what I was kind of putting them on a hot seat about was the Oregon Department of Forestry and the um, the fire authorities that they they manage, which are a combination of Bureau of Land Management, the state and private property owners that all pool resources to fight fire, have a strategy of initial attack that is, you know, early detection, early put out. Try and find the fires quickly and put them out while they're small and, and put them out quick. Where the, the, the U.S. Forest Service, written right into their directives, is a strategy to, you know, that, that fire is a natural component of the forest and it, it should be, you know, and naturally cause fires, you know, i.e., lightning strikes, should be allowed to burn. Now, that policy doesn't really take into account what time of year it is, 
where that lightning strike happens in the forest, whether it's close to other properties or not. And uh, one of the things that the Willamette National Forest Guide did correct for me is they have the ability to override those directives locally, which I did not know. But it did seem that there are several examples where they let fires burn. And probably the biggest example of all last summer was the Chetco Bar fire where uh, they let that fire burn and smolder at under five acres for several weeks until it got to about 50 acres and then it blew up on them when the weather turned and became that massive fire in southwestern Oregon that we all had to suffer through the smoke being drifting up from there and and, and to the point where that smoke actually covered up another lightning caused fire that called the Horse Prairie Fire, and it wasn't detected until it gotten fairly large because they couldn't see the smoke column for the other smoke with the smoke cameras. So, um, you know, not only was the Chetco Bar Fire massive, but it caused one of the most damaging largest fires on state protected lands because they couldn't detect it early. And that was the Horse Prairie Fire. You know, one of his other explanations was was that the, the state protected lands tend to be more concentrated in the coast range where theirs is more high cascades, so the acreage burns differently, and they had lower intensity fire um, on a lot of their land. Um, and he had some graphs about you know how much high intensity fire where, where there's actually mortality of majority mortality of the trees. Um, still. I'm sure that everyone that lost money uh, to, in the tourism industry last summer due to the smoke or had to be shut inside their house for a week and a half um, last summer uh, really didn't care about all that and probably would have preferred if they had much more of an initial attack um, mantra in the, in the Forest Service. So that was an interesting discussion at the board on Tuesday. And, uh, you know, it's an interesting you know, discussion overall because a lot of these forests that are now wilderness weren't wilderness to start with. They, they were managed forests that were replanted to some degree. And uh, especially even with the expansions now that they have of these uh, wildernesses like the Siskiyou and the Calmeopsis that has expanded over time. They've expanded into areas that were harvested and replanted. So it's not like um, you're dealing with fire in a natural forest, you're dealing fire in a second growth forest that um, if it's not a well-managed forest, burns far differently and has a far different function. You know, it's not like a natural forest where you want small understory fires that maintain um, the correct vegetation mixtures in the understory so you don't get a lot of ladder fuels and don't get really high intensity fires and all that. Um, it, it, you know, it, it just seems like the policies uh, sometimes are, are, are written for the, a wilderness, say, in the center of Alaska somewhere that has never been harvested and is millions of acres. And yeah, Maybe a lightning caused fire there is actually a very natural event and should be allowed to burn. But when you talk about a fire that is 
you know, from the predominant winds is going to move towards civilization. And, you know, they were mighty scared uh, in Bandon last summer, uh, not, and not Bandon, uh, that maybe it was Gold Beach um, that was being threatened by the Chetco Bar fire. And uh, it just seems like there was no consideration for that fire was in an area that um, wasn't going to just burn wilderness. It was going to burn private lands, which it did. It was going to threaten uh, developed areas, which it did. And maybe it should have been put out when it was less than five acres. You know, and yes, it might have been in steep terrain with not really accessible by road. But if you use aerial firefighting equipment, you might just have gotten that fire out. But the Forest Service directives actually bar the use of aerial firefighting equipment in wilderness without a special exception. You know, they they don't go to that first. First thing they want to do is, you know, have people, you know, repel in or smoke jump in or, or hike in and use hand tools, basically. And that's a silly, you know, you can... You can contain a fire easily that way, but you know you can put a small fire out with an aerial tanker when it's small, and you might have to come in by hand and do mop up, but you can control it and put it out basically with a tanker when it's less than five acres. Um, so, interesting discussion. Be interesting to see if that changes in the future because one of the things that um, I did get from him was. Those directives are uh, set through the executive branch, not through the legislative branch. So maybe um, the Trump administration and the new, uh, you know, the Forest Service is under the Department of Ag, and maybe um, Sonny Perdue and some of the folks there can make some changes to these directives and get some common sense built into them rather than a presumption that all wilderness is the same, all fire is the same, and all lightning caused fire is natural and something that should be allowed to burn. Because um, I'm certainly not looking forward to this summer because they're predicting another dry, hot fire season. We just got the, the extended summer forecast today and uh, that's what they're predicting. So one of the things that we can truly avoid is those human caused ones which brings me to another little piece of news, not local to this area up in the gorge. They had a really bad fire last year that was human caused by a teenager. A 15 year old was playing with fireworks in the middle of a hot July red flag sort of day and uh, started a fire that nearly burnt down the whole Columbia Gorge um, and caused, you know, was cost of uh, $37 million to put out. And the judge in that case basically said he's got to pay back the $37 million, that he's personally liable for that bill. Now, mind you, the judge put him on a payment plan that is reasonable for his ability to pay and made it so that after 10 years, if he, if he stays out of trouble, makes the payments, he can ask for the the, um, the debt or the lien against him to be uh, released. Um, 
So it's not like they're expecting to really pay back the full $37 million. But I think it was a message being sent out to the general public. Better be damn careful during fire season. <laughs> You're not the one that starts that $37 million fire because the courts are going to hold you responsible. So be careful out there this summer. Pay attention. Um, we don't need to have these kind of fires. Uh, there's a fire down in Douglas County. It was started by somebody mowing their lawn when they shouldn't have been mowing their lawn. Um, we've had fires here where people were target practicing at times when they shouldn't have been doing target practicing out in the woods. We have to, we, we don't need to have those human caused fires. Those are completely controllable. Kind of like we don't really need to have these mass shootings. They could be controlled too. The human caused fires might be a little bit easier. That's just a little bit of education, a little bit of forethought and a little bit of self-discipline on the part of people and not that moment of, of neglect and inattention uh, that causes that. Um, we had a fire start here in Lane County last summer from somebody turning a piece of construction equipment around at a, at a road construction site and backing a hot muffler over br dry brush um, <laughs> as he backed off the road. Uh, so it was a uh, yeah, you know, just a little moment of not thinking about, you know, what you're backing over top of, and uh, away went that blaze, and it was lucky you got caught at just two acres. That particular blaze was in a an area that was pretty heavily wooded, but also has some residential development in it. So uh, it would have been really bad news if that one had taken off, but. Fortunately, it was in the state protected area and those guys get on it. <laughs> they were on that fire like uh, white on rice. Um, so they're, 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 uh, they, were, they, they were really good and got that fire out quick. And I was really thankful for the folks um, that, that, that really jumped on that. So Throwing some real red meat out here on the Bo's Nose Show. We've talked about fire and fire policies, and we've talked about guns and gun control and the Second Amendment. So there's lots for you to call in about. We even brought up a little bit of homelessness. So I'm kind of surprised I haven't gotten a call from somebody. But give us a call, 646-721-9887. Just press 1 if you want to you know, get in on the conversation. You've got something you want to say about guns, about homelessness, about uh, forest fires, we can talk about it. And if there's something else you want to talk about that's completely off of that subject list, we can talk about that too, because that's why I have the Bose Nose Show, so I can have a conversation with folks. Again, 646-721-9887, and just press 1. So, you know, as we're getting into the last 15 minutes or so of the Bose Nose Show, we usually kind of get into where Robin comes into the show a little bit, and and Robin usually has some something on her mind. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it's the drunken architects that design the roundabouts in Glenwood. Sometimes it's the uh, traffic engineers. What were they thinking when they did all the weaving lanes and merges and ending lanes when they did the uh, MX on 6th and 7th Avenue. 
and sometimes it's something else. So what what's on your mind today, Robin? Well, today I would like to give the uh, Electronic Operator Babysitting Award to a company that uh, is so messed up that it took literally 22 minutes uh, to try and get through the operator, got hung up on four times, and then finally, after 22 minutes, got to talk to a human, and I insisted on speaking to the manager, and the manager says, oh, and this is a, a, a nationwide corporation, by the way. I won't mention the name, although as much as I want to, <laughs> um, and says, well, you know, we are converging over, so we're relying more on our online presence, and we don't want to take people away from customers on the floor to answer the phone. And I told him that I was dealing with some contractors this week in my job that I called three, I got two no answers, left several messages on the ones that I could, and after two days, the first one that called me back got a $400 contract. So, corporate America, if you're relying on the electronic confusing operator to get rid of the human, watch your sales because they're going to fall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what was funny is that the questions I had for him literally took uh, less than a minute. Yeah. I, I watched some silly movie, and I can't even remember the name of it this last weekend because um, we had some company over, and it was kind of just one of those things where it was kind of getting – it was after dinner, and we were just all sitting around, so we kind of flipped through Netflix looking for a comedy to, to throw on. And I can't remember the name of the movie, but it had Shirley MacLaine in it, and it was about her accidentally inheriting um, $5 million instead of $50,000 from a from a when her husband passes away, and she was all worried about losing her house and all that stuff. Because they only had a $50,000 life insurance policy, and they had bills left over from them being sick and all that, you know, that typical movie start. And her, you know, has her bestie friend that, you know, is the same age. And they end up uh, cashing this $5 million check <laughs> and going off to uh, the Canary Islands and, and uh, you know, much fun ensues. But before they cash the check, they try to call the insurance company. Uh -huh. And they've got the phone laying on the table in front of them on speakerphone because they're trying to get through to talk to somebody. And they, they <laughs> it's just one of the, it was one of the funniest comedy routines of them trying to get, you know, do the voice um, uh, menu and all that. <laughs> and she kept <laughs> And she's like putting her hand over her friend's mouth to keep her from talking because it kept go kept going. I did not understand that. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, I didn't understand what you said and taking them back to the beginning of the menu, you know. Oh my god. Oh, it was so funny. I mean, it was just so. Your story about you know 22 minutes before you actually talk to a real person. Um, these women, you know, just kept trying and trying and trying to, to straighten it out with it. So finally, they they just decided, you know what, we're just going to deposit the check. Yeah. yeah but uh, it, it was it was funny. Um, you know, a, a cute movie, but you know, kind of mindless. 
sort of thing that you put on when you have company. <laughs> That's but, yeah, but true. Yeah, but it, but that whole scene with the two the, the two elderly ladies trying to deal with the technology of an automated phone menu system. <laughs> well, actually, uh, speaking of technology and phone systems, Google has a new thing that they're uh, going to be releasing to is called Google or Google Duplex, which is like the Google Assistant. And in their demonstration, you tell Google to make a hair appointment for you, and it calls the store and interacts with the person on the phone to actually make the, the appointment. You don't have to do anything. Yeah. So and, it'd be like, I have my people call your people. They do lunch, you know. Yeah, yeah. And what's interesting in the future, they're saying they'll be able to take voice recordings of yours and then accurately mimic your voice and the AI will actually predict, they'll be able to predict it you know, from various interactions you have. Like they've got a program now that will write emails for you based on your your previous responses and all that. Oh my God. Yeah. So, so, Sorry, you got fired today from your email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you can imagine over time they're going to be able to teach these these you know google you know personal assistants to call with your voice and, yeah. and interact with people as you now imagine what a scammer might be able to do with that technology oh that that's uh that's there today with uh um with ai and especially special effects um, computer generated graphics CGI where they can real time take somebody's face and voice and you you talk it converts it to that person's face and voice and you could be Richard Nixon Donald Trump or whoever you want to be and it's getting to the point you can't tell the difference yeah it's getting scary you know it's bad enough that people are calling up and saying they're from the sheriff's office and if you don't send me a, a you know, a um, a prepaid credit card in the amount of whatever, we're going to come and arrest you and all that stuff. You know, that you know that gets some people. But can you imagine if it's your um, your own family member that calls you? Yeah. And, and it's their voice you're hearing saying, "I'm in trouble, and I need you to send dollars." Right. Yeah. It's a little bit different when it's so-and-so that says, oh, you know, so-and-so asked me, they couldn't get in touch with you, and they asked me to ask you, you know, and yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's going to be a, a whole new world with some of that technology. You know, and in fact, it's not that far away because I got a call the other day from credit, uh, from some uh, cruise thing that wanted to know, you know, because it, yeah, you know, Elizabeth from something or other cruise, and it, of course the the caller ID comes up like a cell phone number. Right. So you answer it because you think it's somebody that's calling from a cell phone. And it's Elizabeth, you know, wanting to, you know, this cruise final time calling with this cruise offer, blah blah blah. You know, I'm so glad we got, so glad we finally connected with you instead of leaving a message or whatever. You know, and sounded very like a live person. Right. And asked some question, I forgot what it was, and I said, and I asked what company are you with, because I have a company I usually use for my cruise line. Uh -huh. And 
and it, there was some rote answer that she gave and, and then repeated the question. And I asked the question several different ways and the same answer kept coming up. It was obviously programmed to respond to responses in different ways. It was obviously a pre-programmed voice system. It was to trying to mimic somebody. I, I guess ultimately they were going to try and get some kind of information out of me to book, book this cruise, this, this discount cruise or free cruise they had. But, you know, it was obviously set up interactive yeah. where for a response from me and then reacted to that response. Oh, absolutely. Some of them try to make like there's this one that called and said, oh, I'm sorry, let me adjust my headset just a second. Hi, I'm I'm Carol and blah, 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 blah. And she goes on and you think you're talking to a real person because they start out with, oh, let me adjust my headset. Yeah. And it's totally recording interactive, like you're saying. Um, there was one guy. He posted this on YouTube. He was a uh, telephone technician. He had two phone lines and he programmed his home phone. The first time you call, you get in or like a one or something that says, hey, I'm you, and it remembers that. But what it does is that if you don't do that, it routes you to the second phone line into an interactive computer system, That and he records it. And what, what it does is that it randomly comes up with answers. And so it, sometimes it keeps these um, telemarketers on the phone for 20, 30 minutes, and all it's saying is, uh-huh, sure, tell me more. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, uh, there are there are things now where you have to uh, a lot of people have it now where it's these uh, no more spam calls or whatever. I forget what service it is that you can have hooked up to your phone right. where you do have to punch a code in to show you're a live person. Where they, you know, they, they, they say in order to talk to so and so and to prove that you're a live person, please dial the following or something like that, and it'll give you like a three-digit code you have to punch in. Oh, I would love that on my Sprint phone. I get, Sprint does not, yes, I will mention names here. <laughs> Sprint publishes your number. Verizon does not as default. Sprint does not offer that service. Yeah. I get spam calls multiple times a day. I've tried different apps. I've lost calls I needed to talk to people because of the apps I've had to install. Yeah. Sprint don't care. Yeah. But that's just me. But anyways, you know, what's really more important is what's going to happen at 4 o'clock next Wednesday. Yes, we are going to be doing another Bose Nose show. Coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. And uh, we'll be back next week. And who knows what we'll be talking about next week because I've got a whole week to figure out what the heck I'm going to talk about. And so really appreciate folks listening to Bose Nose show here today. Uh, hope you enjoyed the show, and uh, next week, give us a call, because we want to talk about what you want to talk about, but, uh, you know, I always enjoy, even when you guys don't talk, and I get to talk to Robin a little bit, we might get a little bit sidetracked on some odd stuff, like uh, computer calling systems and AI and some strange stuff, but that's just the geeks in us, so please forgive us, and uh, we'll hope you're back here next week on the Bose Nose Show. We're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Have a great night.